if all they do is meet the expectations, the growth expectations of the market, then you're going to get the return up front that the market is collectively placing on that. Basically, as long as the earnings growth, the profit growth are there, and it falls in line with what the market is currently priced in, you're just going to get what the market expects for a return. You're not going to get the outsized returns that you've gotten over, say, the last decade. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of the Retire Smarter Podcast. Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky, and today we've got a great show on tap for you. If you're new to the program, let me tell you about Kevin. He is the president and wealth advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio, with offices in Akron and Canfield as well. You can find Kevin by going online to truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, great to have you again with us this week. How are things in your world? Walter, uh, always good to be here. Thank you for the same. Uh, things are great. Uh, we family and I are still in Southwest Florida, and I, I guess we should probably tweak the uh, the intro there to mention that uh, technically we do have offices in Southwest Florida. We have a few handfuls of, of clients that are that are down here uh, all year, and then we have a lot of snowbirds as well that venture down for part of the year from up north, but. Uh, the beaches in Southwest Florida just opened back up uh, about uh, nine, ten days ago, and uh, there was a lot of pent-up beach demand in the Krosky household, and we were able to get out and uh, have fun and effectively social distance at the same time. For the most part, um, one interesting phenomenon that happened last weekend was, uh, so we are in Southwest Florida, Southeast Florida over by Miami has had a much larger outbreak uh, of COVID. And uh, the beaches and everything are pretty much closed down over there still. So we had a very large influx of people from the east coast of Florida over to the west coast. And the news station were just interviewing all these people that looked uh, down at Naples beaches, which isn't where we were. We were a little bit more uh, further north, a little bit more remote and and certainly less crowded. We were intentional about that. But um, the people that were being interviewed on the local news uh, that came over from Miami, and there were several of them. I mean, they're all people that as my daughter gets older, I hope she doesn't bring that guy or that guy home as, as a boyfriend and um so now those the east those east siders stay away from the west so the naples beaches are now closed again thank you very much miami oh my goodness that is no fun i just feel like the beach seems like one of those things that sh- seems like it should be encouraged and that we could all go do but i guess that's coming from somebody who uh, grew up on the north carolina coast and you know if somebody was within a football's throw of you, they were too close on the beach. So I, I, I have less experience with the more crowded beach life. I, whenever I went and visited family on the New Jersey coast or in Myrtle Beach, my mind always exploded at how packed and crowded it was and how that was enjoyable for folks. So yeah. that's when I, th- when I hear of the beaches shutting down, I'm primarily thinking of my North Carolina experience where it's just a very chill, relaxed beach area. I'm like, how can I pick up a sickness from anybody that's 75 feet away from me, you know? Yeah, very yeah, definitely very different down here. Uh, and because most other things are still closed, it's like one of those only things that you can do. So I think a lot of people were thinking the same thing that the Krosky family was and uh, that they just went out to the beach. So, I mean, we were fine. My wife is um, 
uh, you know, in protective mom mode for this whole situation. And, and she felt comfortable and the kids had a good time and, you know, everything was great. But uh, certainly in the uh, more of the city, uh, centralized city beaches, it was it looked like a bunch of sardines. And uh, then you had these uh, these. I mean, they were morons. I mean, again, I mean, if my daughter brings a guy like that home someday, <laughs> there's going to be problems in the Krosky household. So, of course, now that I say that, I'm sure she will. But uh, we'll do everything that we can in our power that that does not happen. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, well, hopefully we're still doing this podcast in uh, another 10 or so years and, and we <laughs> can right. hear those stories on the, <laughs> the show. The evolutions <laughs> of Kevin Krosky and his family, yes. <laughs> No doubt I will still be working out uh, a lot then as motivation to uh, you know, pump my chest out whenever some young man comes over to the house and wants to take my daughter out. So You'll, um, you'll own way more tank tops than you ever thought you would, right? right? <laughs> show I'm up, not show a gun person, but maybe bit. I'd become one. Who knows? <laughs> well, you'll have guns in, in, in different forms. You know? You'll have the, the workout guns and then maybe some others as well, just, to, <laughs> just as a backup plan. Well, too funny, man. And uh, I, at least you got out and got some fresh air. And I know that that's, uh, that's a victory in today's world still in many ways. So, uh, well, we could probably talk about the beach for quite a while on today's show. I want to answer the question of why in the world, um, maybe you can tell me this as an Ohioan, and then we'll get into the, the big topic of the day. Growing up at the beach, there were only two license plates I ever saw, North Carolina license plates, of course, and then the other were Ohio license plates. Is there a thing with Ohio and loving the North Carolina coast? You would you would know as a resident of, I know that you've chosen Florida as your you know kind of second location, but is there a thing with Ohioans and the North Carolina coast? Because I always saw Ohio license plates everywhere, almost as prevalent it felt like as the North Carolina ones. You know, it's drivable for one. I you know, so I'm originally from Pittsburgh, and we used to do like Ocean City, Maryland was pretty common. Virginia Beach, um, and I, I think if you map it out, I don't think it's much longer for an Ohioan to get to North Carolina than it is to to get to some of those places. But I agree. I mean, we started out probably I don't know, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, going to we really did kind of Myrtle Beach and then Northern Myrtle Beach. Uh, we never. Uh, did North Carolina, but I, I agree. It was like everything was Ohio. So uh, you saw quite a lot of that, but, uh, but you I don't know. just kept working your way South. Uh, yeah, we did. We, uh, you know, no hair, thinner blood, go South young man. <laughs> Too funny. All right, well, let's jump into the big conversation of the day, Kevin, why people are here. Certainly, uh, our big headline about tech stocks. You know, I, I don't know if there's any other piece of financial information or buzzword that gets just so much attraction and opens up eyeballs as much as whenever you hear somebody on the news start talking about tech stocks. And you sent me this article that says why big tech stocks must underperform. And that's going to be kind of an alarming headline that catches a lot of attention. So the last episode that we did uh, was kind of the off the cuff, but I, I talked about some basic principles of risk and uncertainty. And I think later in the week, I saw another article. This had happened earlier in the year, but basically the five largest stocks uh, in the U.S. By, by market cap, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, and Facebook, collectively were more than 20% of the total market uh, in terms of value, or, or another word for value is market capitalization. And uh, you really haven't seen that sort of concentration uh, since the late 1990s, before, just before the tech bubble burst. And it, it, it was very interesting to me. And all these stocks over the last several years, and we'll talk a little bit more about the numbers behind this, but have been the darlings of the market and uh, providing you know, really outsized returns. And so I wanted to talk about uh, more of a 
logical, mathematical, principle-based reasoning here. Why that just frankly, it it is highly unlikely and probably mathematically impossible that it's going to repeat. And in a lot of conversations with new clients, uh, with clients about, you know, when you're looking at your retirement plan, obviously you kind of go through the planning process, but for anything that uh, is not met by your pension, your social security, what have you, all your spending has to be met by your savings and your investments. And you have to invest. And then you also have to go ahead and, and make some sort of assumptions on what sort of return you can expect on those investments. And it, most people, as is with most things in life, they, they look backwards first. So they'll look back and say, well, I mean, here's what the market has done or here's what's doing well. And our brains have this natural bias. Uh, it's called recency bias. Basically, what has been doing well, you kind of project that forward. Or what has happened in the past, you project that forward because it's kind of fresh in your mind. It's recent. And it's very well documented uh, in psychology and in the investment literature. And it's, again, it's just how our minds work as humans. So we have to be aware of these different biases and, and also think more logically and hopefully I think a little bit more mathematically those two kind of go hand in hand rather than just saying, you know, what has done well will continue to do well. So I figured we would kind of dive into that, look about what these handful of companies have done over the last decade, all the way up through the end of 2019, obviously 2020. Things are a little bit weird. I'll comment on 2020 so far, but then going forward. And as you go through this exercise, we're, I'm going to try to keep it pretty high level. I'm not going to get into digging into these companies, but I think if you just take the collective contributions of each in terms of where they are, look what they've done. And if you try to just project it forward, doing what they've done in the past, again, it's just, you, you get a very different story than probably what you're thinking when you hear these five companies' names. So if we go back to 2010. So, you know, we just came out of the financial crisis of in early 2009, at least I don't even say that we came out of it, but we really bottomed out in March of 2009. Stocks had done quite well later in 2009. There was still a lot of uncertainty about, hey, are we going to have a double dip recession or something to that effect? It was still very unclear if economically we're, we're out of the woods, even though the market had rebounded. So, when I say the beginning of 2010, we're kind of starting from a fairly low level. Um, again, 2007, the market started going down. 2008, the market went down. First quarter uh, of 2009, the market went down. Economic activity was low. Sales were lower. All those things, all those kind of inputs into the economy and into investing were lower. So that's kind of our initial starting measurement period, beginning of 2010. And then if we look at the next 10 years, we get through the end of 2019. So in the beginning of 2010, the, those five companies had sales of 2% of the total index, only 2%. And their profits, they were more profitable than the index, than the S&P 500, uh, at about 6% of the total of the S&P 500. So beginning of 2010, 2% of sales and 6% of profits. They traded at a valuation multiple of about 19 times earnings. So we talked about this in the last episode, but um, simply put, you know, whenever you're investing in a company, you're not just investing in earnings for this year, but all the future earnings that you're going to accrue uh, at some sort of discount rate or risk rate, if you will, you know, it, it's a multi-year approach. And so these companies were collectively trading around 19 times earnings in 2010. A, a quick side note, Facebook was a big company back in 2010, but technically they became public in 2012. So they were kind of added in uh, a little bit later, but again, they're one of the top five today. So 
Beginning 2010, 2% of sales, 6% of profits, trading at 19 times earnings. So fast forward 10 years later, here we are in the very beginning of 2020. We just kind of put a bookend on 2019. Those same five stocks now comprise 8% of sales and 14% of profits for the index. And they were rewarded for that because then their valuation grew from about the 19 times earnings. Now at the end of the year, they were a little bit more than 30 times earnings and collectively investors bid up those prices. And now that they go ahead and you add them together, it's 20% of the total S&P 500. So an incredibly impressive decade. Again, 2% of sales going up to 8% and 6% of profits in early 2010 going up to 14%. If you looked at how their sales grew year in and year out, their sales grew nearly 20% per year and the profits grew at about 18% per year. Incredibly impressive. The companies were absolutely phenomenal. And one of the things that you have to remember is when you're investing, that everybody knew and knows that these are great companies. I mean, everybody uses Google, Apple, maybe not everybody uses Facebook, but a big swath of the population does. Probably if you didn't use Amazon before going through COVID, you're using it now. And, you know, we've been, uh, have Microsoft in our lives for decades now. And everybody knows that these are good companies are probably going to be around for, for many, many years in the future. But if you go back to 2010, you know, when they were trading at 19 times earnings, the, the expectations were that, yeah, they're going to be good. They're 19 times earnings. They're kind of similar at a valuation compared to the overall market. When you looked at the S&P 500, it was also trading about 19 times earnings. So they really didn't command a valuation premium at that time, which I think is, is kind of interesting in hindsight. If everybody knows that these companies are just f so fantastic now, why weren't they bid up higher back then? But they weren't. And the thing that you have to remember is when you're investing is you basically get paid for surprises. If a company does not have a surprise, if, if all they do is meet the expectations, the growth expectations of the market, then you're going to get the return up front that really kind of the, the market is collectively placing on that. It's, it's called a discount rate. But basically, as long as the earnings growth, the profit growth are there and it falls in line with what the market is currently priced in, you're just going to get what the market expects for a return. You're not going to get the outsized returns that you've gotten over, say, the last decade. So here we are in 2020, and now these companies are trading at a valuation of more than 30 times earnings. And it's definitely a hefty valuation over the index. And again, this is at the end of the year, 2020. There's a, obviously a ton of uncertainty as far as what earnings are going to be. This is all going to kind of play out over the next several weeks and months and, and hopefully not years until we get more clarity on what these earnings are truly going to be. But you've just had just an absolutely phenomenal decade of growth for these five large, generally technology-oriented companies. The problem is when you look at this and you can call it capitalism, you could call it creative destruction, but there's a reason why you really don't see this sort of concentration. And it just, the math just doesn't work. These companies have become so much bigger that now they're so large and they've eaten up so much market share. You think of a company like Google and all their, the revenues generally ad related. Well, you know, they've gobbled up the ad market over the last 10 years. There's not nearly as much room to grow over the next 10 years. So whether that that pie is going to get appreciably bigger and allow them to continue to grow like that, 
that's really the only way uh, that or getting into some some new business where they can go gobble up somebody else's revenues that they can go ahead and continue their growth path. You know, everybody knows that Amazon's a great business. Uh, it's but again, it's already baked into the price. The only way that you're going to get further outsized returns is if it's even better than what's currently expected. Uh, Jeff Bezos himself uh, famously said, and I'm going to read a direct quote here, but he said, Amazon's going to go bankrupt. He said, when you look at large companies, their lifespans tend to be about 30 plus years, not 100 plus years. So whatever you call it, again, whether it's capitalism, competition, creative destruction, uh, or you just listen to Jeff Bezos, going forward, growth is going to be much, much tougher to come by for all of these technology darlings. And I'll take it a step forward and just put a little bit of math on this. So again, I think these companies are going to be around in a decade. Uh, and you say, okay, well, everybody knows these are great companies. What if they just went ahead and repeated the kind of growth that they did over the prior decade? Again, they, they're already comprising a level of concentration in the market that you haven't seen since the late 1990s. But let's go ahead and throw that aside for a minute. Let's just say that they do keep growing. Well, let's look out 20% per year in terms of sales growth. That's what they've done in the past, past decade. And if we just extrapolate that out, and I'm going to say for another 20 years. So here we are in 2020, we go out for another 20 years, we go to the end of 2039. And the other assumptions that have to be built into this, if you look back at the past decade, the S&P 500, basically those companies grew their sales at a collective rate about 4% per year. Now, Walter, I don't know about you, but um, most people, when they hear like sales only grew by 4%, this kind of seems maybe a little bit low. How does that strike you? Mm, I, any any growth is good growth. <laughs> <laughs> I love your optimism, right? Um, when you actually look at the past 10 years, it was, it was closer to about 3.5%. Uh, I think it was like 3.6, 3.7. I just rounded it up for this thought experiment and called it 4% per year sales growth. So that's really just kind of taking the past, maybe being a little bit uh, rosier. And again, we're starting to measure at the end of um, what well, we started this at the beginning of 2010. So after you know prices had kind of, and the market had fallen. And so you're kind of measuring from a lower point. Here we're measuring from the beginning of 2020, you know, right after the end of 2019. Obviously, COVID is going to kind of take a swath uh, out of this this growth for a while. But um, my point being is, I think the beginning of measuring in 2010 was probably more favorable. It was a much smaller figure than measuring at the beginning of 2020. So when you have a smaller number that you're measuring from, or mathematically speaking, your denominator, it's probably easier to get a, a larger growth rate. Same reason why a lot of times it's easier to grow a smaller company than a bigger company to a certain degree, um, but you're just starting from a lower base. So you have 4% sales growth collectively for the market. These companies are going to continue to grow at their 20% sales growth, You know what they did in the past 10 years. And so as you go through that and say, okay, well, what happens after 20 years? And if you go ahead and do 20% per year annualized sales growth for those five companies, when the rest of the market is only growing at 4%, they're naturally going to evolve to become a bigger and bigger portion of the market. And what you find is at the end of 2039, the sales now comprise 140% of the index. Now, Walter, is that mathematically possible? 
That doesn't sound mathematically possible. No, absolutely. <laughs> it does not. So it's the same sort of thing. If we go all the way back uh, when we first started the podcast, we went through a retirement rules gone awry series. And one of the biggest concerns for retirees is healthcare. And healthcare has been increasing at a faster and faster, I don't want to say faster and faster rate, but a faster rate than normal inflation, normal uh, expenditures in the economy that aren't healthcare related. And it's been going on for a while. Um, to the point where it's comprising a much bigger portion of our economy here domestically than it is for most economies outside of the U.S. And one of the things that I would said about that, I said, look, you know, I don't know how this is going to change. Certainly there's uh, all kinds of issues with our healthcare systems and how we pay for healthcare and what have you. Uh, however, it's just mathematically impossible that healthcare can keep growing at, you know, say twice the rate of normal inflation in the economy, because at some point that higher growth rate goes to the point where it just comprises so much of the economy. It's like we're all healthcare dominated and there's, there's no other industries or no other businesses and no other incomes to go ahead and pay for healthcare. It's just, it just mathematically doesn't work or sort of an adding up constraint. And what I'm saying here is the same sort of thing. When you look at these companies, they've had unexpectedly high growth. Everybody knew these companies in 2008, Facebook was around. It wasn't public, so certainly more well-known today. But everybody knew Apple. Everybody knew Google. Everybody knew Amazon. Everybody knew Microsoft. But they were just trading at a valuation that was consistent with the rest of the market. They have, not only were they good companies then, but they have outcompeted and outperformed the other companies that comprise the index. And if you were investing in them, I mean, you got rewarded for it. Certainly, everybody probably owned some of them through different mutual funds. Maybe some people over-allocated to them. And if you did, kudos to you. I mean, they returned about 25% per year over that 2010 to the end of 2019 time period. But if you think that they're going to keep growing at that rate, you know, it's just mathematically impossible. 2020 years out, it's 140% of the index. It just can't happen. They've become so big, it's almost like they're a victim of their own success. So are they going to go ahead and uh, own all of the advertising market? Well, I mean, you got Google, Facebook, and Amazon kind of competing for that. And now because you don't have sports, you don't have a lot of uh, ad dollars going to sports and, and maybe near zero. But the market is only so big. And so if they own the whole market, well, they can't grow the market just like they have before through cannibalization, through eating other companies' revenues. So it just, you can't mathematically do it. Now, if, if I drop it back at uh, 10 years, say, okay, well, maybe 2040, at some point they're going to slow down. What about 2030? Well, if they continue to grow 20% per year from now through the end of 2029, we look January 1, 2030, that same 20% sales growth, assuming that the market grows at 4%, they comprise 33% of sales up from 8% today. Again, I mean, it's it's just not only highly unlikely, I mean, I, I won't say that that's mathematically impossible. I think the laws of capitalism would certainly preclude that, whether it's you know regulation, whether it's more competition between these behemoths, which uh, I think is certainly likely as well. Uh, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's just inconsistent with the pr principles of capitalism for this to happen. You know, it's not like we're going to go back to the days of the early 1900s where you had like Standard Oil, U.S. Steel, and, and just all these companies that got really kind of broken up through antitrust law. I think you're going to see the pendulum swing the other way. I don't know when. I don't know how quickly it's going to be. Certainly, I'm not saying that all five companies are going to be the same. The, the performance could be different. But if you're looking at the recent returns and saying, wow, these technology companies, these large U.S. technology companies, hey, 
we know these companies are good. I'm going to put my money there. At some point, price is going to matter. At some point, you're going to pay too much for these companies because they're not going to be able to meet the growth expectations, let alone exceed them and get paid for that surprise like you have in the past 10 years. You know, maybe maybe 15% sales growth is more likely in the short term. Maybe it's 10%. You know, who knows? But as that sales growth gets lower from what it has been and is baked in the current expectations when you're paying 30 times plus earnings for these companies, at some point, price is really going to matter. At late 90s, Microsoft was trading for like around 100 times the price to earnings ratio. Microsoft today, all these years later, is still a great company. But if you bought Microsoft at the tippity top in the late 1990s, you were quite disappointed and lost money for about 15 years. So it's one of those things where I just see, and this has been going on for a while. And again, I kind of started this with saying that you get paid for surprises. I've been surprised at the outperformance. I've been surprised at the concentration. And again, it is kind of a record level that you've seen. So I think it's it's worthy of, of being surprised. These are great businesses, but when you look at this going forward, uh, it's like, how long can this continue? And I think it's continued longer than what most people have expected. Not only that, but now you come into 2020 in, in this COVID environment, and a lot of these companies were expensive coming into 2020, but a lot of them, all of them pretty much, in fact, have simply proven more resilient and have a more resilient business models in this social distancing economic shutdown environment because they are more technology enabled. But again, at some point, price is going to matter. And if those expectations aren't met, let alone exceeded as they have been, there's going to be a lot of investors that are going to be very unhappy. So many different layers to kind of try and consume there, Kevin. And, you know, you kind of feel like the old standby ends up being pretty emotional. Of Is it a good company? Is it something that you buy, that you use? I mean, my first introduction into uh, in, into stocks and into, you know, the financial realm really was my grandparents buying me uh, buying me stock instead of toys for <laughs> Christmas and birthdays and those kinds of things. And they did it in they bought stock in things that as a kid I would find really cool, like Hershey bars and also things that I used because I knew they knew I would build that positive connection and interest with it. And I feel like we all carry that same mentality. We want to invest in we hear it on like Shark Tank all the time, right? Invest in what you know. And there might be a great product that's being pitched to, you know, one of the folks on Shark Tank as an example. And then you all, I always am surprised when I hear them say, you know, I just don't know this space. So it's not for me. I'm not going to invest in it. Even if it makes the financial sense and they can tell it's probably a good company, they just don't want to, you know, get involved. And I realize that investing in a company is a little bit different than buying the stock of a company, but, um, you know, be in, versus being kind of part ownership there. But kind of interesting just to look at the fact that we can let some of those emotional and intangible things enter that mindset and that equation, but then dive into the numbers too. And they sometimes tell the same story and sometimes tell a different story. Well, I think if you look back in history, you see this happen. Certainly most people are going to remember the tech bubble fairly clearly. And you just saw valuations you know, go to the moon and you know, price didn't matter because it's a new economy and it's just going to be you know, growth, growth, growth. And certainly a lot of these companies are still around today. A lot of them aren't. Um, but as I mentioned for Microsoft, <laughs> literally you didn't make any money in Microsoft for about 15 years. That's a long time to wait. And you can go back a, a decade, another generation prior to that in the early seventies, there was a group of stocks that became known as the nifty 50 and same sort of thing. They were really the darlings of the time back then. And they were generally us large growth stocks, companies like Polaroid, 
uh, which may get a chuckle just even mentioning the name. I mean, they were trading around 90 times earnings in the early 70s. Uh, you had Kmart uh, trading in the mid-50s, Eastman Kodak trading around 50, JCPenney, Sears Roebuck, GE. You know, some of these companies are still around. A lot of them aren't uh, actually as well. And when Jeff Bezos said what he said about companies really not lasting more than about 30 years, you could go back uh, in history and, and, and through different 30, 40 year periods and just show the sort of creative destruction process that capitalism has. And as these companies get larger, you know, there's, it's more difficult to steer the Titanic than it is uh, a little nifty and nimble boat. And who knows, maybe, maybe some of these companies really are going to have monopoly power. Maybe they already do, and maybe that's not going to change for a while. But th that would be betting against how history has, and capitalism has always worked. So, you know, these companies aren't going anywhere anytime soon, but it's just very, and certainly you may have outsized returns for a while. But when the music stops and people are going to realize that, hey, these companies aren't growing, hey, maybe price really does matter because the growth isn't there, uh, just like they realized in the late 90s. Well, you're, you're going to be very unhappy for probably quite an extended period of time until these companies keep growing enough where the prices come down enough where it does become more reasonable to go ahead and buy in and invest again. The example I always like to use is real estate because we all own a house. We all live somewhere. But if somebody comes into your neighborhood, Walter, and buys your neighbor's house uh, that looks nearly identical to you and they pay 50% more versus what you paid, uh, and you're going to be happy because you're going to say, oh, man, I got a good cop. But, and they, maybe they got a nice house, but you're gonna, you and your wife are going to know they, they sure as heck overpaid for it. And uh, if they have to go ahead and sell like a year later or two years later because maybe they're getting moved or something like that, they're going to take a hit. And there's still a lot of real estate that was built or bought in the mid 2000s that even to this day, even before COVID was still underwater. I've seen it in commercial real estate. I've seen it in some of the hotter markets uh, for, for property here in Southwest Florida or Arizona. Uh, just had a client recently sold uh, a house in Tucson, Arizona that they bought uh, in 2009, not only, not even like during the run-up, but it was on the downward slope and they thought they were getting a good price and, and literally they sold it about 10 years later and still, you know, lost about 15% of the dollars that they had on it. So price does matter. It, the short-term market movements, there's a lot of exuberance, there's a lot of emotion and uh, prices can maybe not matter to some for a while. And these companies certainly are good companies and they certainly were deserving of a higher price now that we can look back with clarity in the rearview mirror. But going forward, it's literally mathematically impossible that they can repeat what they've done because at some point they just become the entire economy and it's just not the way that things work. All you have to do is look at how some of these companies started, right? In a garage, in a dorm room, selling books <laughs> and they all morphed into something different. But you talk about staying nimble and being smaller and being nimble. It just makes you think, where's that next garage and the next dorm room that's going to be nimble enough to come up and supplant some of these major companies? It's, it's almost unfathomable, but that'd be incorrect thinking because we've seen it many, many times over and over again. Yeah. And, and that's the way it works. And certainly these companies, as they become larger, you know, and, and they do uh, have monopolistic powers uh, and maybe they're not facing the increased regulation just yet. Certainly some of these companies are fell under that in, in the European Union. Um, certainly it's happening. It was happening in the U.S. I, I would not be surprised if it's kind of delayed a little bit with the COVID situation. But these companies will go out and 
maybe just buy their competition and then just squash them off. But the pendulum is going to swing. It's just the way that uh, I think history works in general. You know, you've seen uh, concentration and then you've seen antitrust and then uh, kind of a breaking of things up. And then uh, you've seen it kind of swing back the other way over, you know, really the last, say, 20, 25 years or so. Um, you see the same sort of thing with income disparity. You know, there's still a, a quite a significant disparity of, you know, the very top, uh, say, like the CEOs versus, you know, the average worker. But that peak was really reached in 2007, and it's still quite disparate. Uh, but uh, it, it really hasn't been to this level since we go back to kind of the standard oil days and what have you, you know, more than 100 years ago. And I think you're probably seeing more of this shift back towards uh, income equality. Uh, you had uh, global trade reach a peak also in, like around 2006 or 2007. You know, it's very clear if you're just kind of turning on the TV over the last several years with what's going on in the economy and the political scene and the rhetoric that, you know, we're becoming more of a closed nation. And you've probably seen a peak for, for international trade, maybe forever, but certainly for quite a while. Again, we haven't reached the peaks, um, you know, that we had in 2007. So I, I think these are some very long-term trends. This will be one of those things that maybe we look back uh, in 10 years from now. Also, uh, I'll give the update on who my daughter is bringing home and see where this sort of prognostication <laughs> looks like at that point in time. But it, it happens. You know, This is not any sort of market timing move uh, or anything like that. These companies, I think, have gone and done well longer than what most people expected. But at some point, the music's going to run out. So when you're looking to invest your hard-earned money for retirement and you're saying, hey, just I just want to own these companies and just this U.S. large growth stuff, well, because it's done so well and I know them and they're, everybody knows they're great companies, I would just say just be very cautious in that statement and be mindful of the recency bias that you're exhibiting and just think about the math and just remember sooner or later price is going to matter. Ten years from now, no more Apple, Facebook, or Google They've all been replaced by something else, and Kevin's daughter is bringing home a bro for Christmas. And, uh, <laughs> my, how the world! Has I don't changed. know what's scarier. I think <laughs> I think the latter is scarier. But uh, but no, I, I don't think these companies. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not saying they're going away. But I think uh, again, the point of the, all of what I'm saying here is price is going to matter, and price is related to what you can expect in terms of returns. Um, it's an old adage in real estate. It, it's it, what's so weird, Walter, is like in investments. If you go shopping at the mall and something is marked down in price, you think you're getting a better deal. Uh, you go to the car dealer and you're able to negotiate below sticker or you get a rebate and you feel good about that because you get a better deal. In investing, it's like this weird psychology that happens where you want the thing that's more expensive, <laughs> that has done well, whose prices got higher, and then you want to go ahead and, and people want to chase that rather than buy the thing that has been out of favor and whose price has been marked down. So you know, really, that's one of the reasons why myself and a lot of other people like me have a job because investing is just so different. And a lot of times you have to swim against the stream to do the most prudent thing. It's fascinating. I'm, uh, I, I saw an advertisement the other day for a store that said, we have 50%, everything is 50% off every day of the year. Come on by. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting way to describe your sales, that they're always the same every day of the year. Um, interesting way to go about it. So the sales and the pricing still has to make sense, and we have to keep that in mind. What an interesting thought experiment on today's episode, picturing a world without some of these companies in existence in you know maybe 10-plus years. And uh, just that seems so unfathomable at the moment. But again, we've seen it happen before, and it will happen again in some way, shape, or form. It's kind of like when you go to college, and I, I don't know if they do this at 
every college, but they said, look to your left and look to your right. You know, one of those two people won't won't graduate, uh, you know, from this school. You know, they'll they'll fall to the wayside or, you know, they they'll find a different path. And you kind of go, wow, that's a lot of people not making it to the finish line. Kind of the same thing with these companies look left and right. You know, possibly one of these is not going to make it, uh, you know, beyond this benchmark. And, Possibly. Uh, I, yeah. and I, just to be clear. That, You're not making uh, a prediction. Yeah, here. I'm not going to say that they're going to fail, but I, I feel very comfortable saying you look 10 years from now and there's there's no way that they're going to repeat uh, their success in terms of providing returns to investors, outsized returns, say versus the broad market that they have over the last 10. I feel very comfortable saying that statement. Awesome. Well, in 10 years, we'll fact check you and come back and we'll see what happened. How's that sound? Uh, that's a, this is recorded. It's on the internet. Everything lives, lives forever on the internet. I'm going to put a little, uh, a little calendar reminder 10 All years right. out from now to, uh, to let's do a follow-up episode to this one, Kevin. You got it. Yes. 10 year look back. All right. Sounds good, Walter. You got it. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for uh, the thoughtful conversation today and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you, Walter. All right. If you've got any questions for Kevin Krosky, you want to talk about this or your own financial plan, things that are going on in your financial and retirement life, you can certainly get in touch and have a conversation with a certified financial planner on the True Wealth team. All you have to do is go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button. Again, go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced certified financial planner on the True Wealth team. Or you can call 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. For Kevin Krosky, I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for taking the time to join us, and we'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.